okay. This call is being recorded. Do we, do we want to start the podcast? Yeah. Go ahead okay. and do that, Ron. All right. Give me a few seconds, and then I'll get us in. That's what so, we were doing. Thanks. Thanks, John. Just, oh, my God. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the 4th and Short Podcast. This is Brian Beversluis, joined by Brad Smith and John DeLong after a disappointing Panthers loss in the playoffs. How you guys doing tonight? I feel like with how much stuff has happened since the loss, I've almost forgotten about it. Yeah, the loss is like <laughs> the last thing on my mind right now. <laughs> it has been a wild week, and it's, going, it's looking to be a pretty wild offseason for the Panthers. Um but it seems like it'll also be a good off-season for our website as well. Um, John, I know you had something you wanted to talk about, so why don't you uh, fill us in on that? Yeah. So what I was was what I was saying before the show um, that you guys can't hear. Um, I'm working on. I'm making lots of. I'm compiling lots and lots of information and making lots of pretty pictures and charts and graphs. Uh, that a lot of it is saying that everything that NFL coaches live by. All the mantras and cliches are just completely factually incorrect. Like, um, Brad saw this, and I don't know if you saw this, Brian. Do you know what the uh, most commonly gained yardage total is on a run play? Probably like ooh, three ooh, yards. I know, I know, I know. What is it, Brad? What is the answer? It was two yards, right? It was two yards. The most likely outcome of a run play is a two-yard gain. Followed by Which is one great yard. if it's third and one, but it's yeah. not great if it's third and three. Even better, the next most likely outcome is a tie between one yard and three yards. That is not good. Um, so basically running the ball as a means of like keeping your offense moving forward is not a valid piece of reasoning. Like If you want to consistently move the ball, you need to throw it more than you run it. That's just kind of how numbers work. Um, the play that it has the most likely outcome is an incompletion, but the next most likely outcome is gaining six yards. If you gain six yards and zero, if you alternate between six and zero, that's still better than running for two yards every play. Um, hmm. The other thing uh, is that that I've come across so far, there's going to be a lot more into it. The other thing that I've come to so far is that the uh, correlation between time of possession and how good your defense is like defensive efficiency in terms of yards per play is just about zero. Like I, I went back three years and I plotted time of possession versus defensive yards per play allowed. And it is a straight scattered horizontal line. There's no trend at all. Basically your defense is good or it's not like there's nothing you can do as an offense to like help your defense out, which is, as as the common narrative says. Actually, like, there is one thing you can do to help your defense out. Score some points. Score points. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's going to be more to it than that. Just like 
it's a lot of it's going to be scatter plots and some histograms uh the scatter like in terms of what correlates with winning um hint it's not running the ball and stopping the run um those have it actually it actually has nothing to do with winning look at who's left in the playoffs um yeah exactly i think the teams left in the playoffs i think almost all of them are in the bottom third of the league in um rush defense So uh, even without like that, even like not going into like, you know, super specific in-depth research, um, like the top, the top three teams in yards per carry allowed were Denver, Cleveland, Arizona. None of Um, those teams even made the playoffs. (laughs) They were all actually quite bad. Um, the Patriots, Rams, Saints, Steelers, Jaguars, Bills, Chiefs, Falcons, and Ravens, nine playoff teams were at 16th or worse in, uh, did I say Bills? Yes. You didn't say Bills. Okay, yeah. I couldn't remember if I started, yeah. So, over half the teams in the playoffs, or nine out of, was that, 75% of the teams that made the playoffs were in the bottom half of the league in rush defense. In Even the Jaguars? Yeah, the like, Jaguars were 26. All jokes aside, that surprises me, because Jacksonville had one of the better defenses in the league, I thought. Oh, no, they, yeah, they're 26th in yards per carry allowed. Wow. The Rams Probably. are 30th. You have to remember Jacksonville's defense is big on getting sacks too. Same yeah, with the Rams. It's, 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 it's almost as if the passing game is more effect, is more of a, a indicator of wins and losses than the running game is in 2018, 2017, whatever year you want to look at. Well, you have to remember too, and I mean, this may provide some context to the, the shift in mentality, but it's easier to throw the ball nowadays. With the yeah, exactly. And the, and yeah, so I, I agree. Like, being a I better think, passing offense is definitely going to be better for a team than being a better rushing offense, which is why it pisses me off that Carolina <laughs> is still about all about the power rushing attack. But we'll get on to that later. Especially well, when like, it makes, they got it backwards. It makes sense when you have like the Jaguars, when you have Leonard Fournette and your quarterback is Blake Bortles. That makes sense to and that make to emphasize the run game. It makes sense if you're the Rams to emphasize Tiger as much as possible. When you have Cam Newton as your as your quarterback. If your quarterback's your best player, he should be the focal point of your offense. He should not be the secondary piece of your offense. 100% right, yes. And Ron Rivera said something today that that still bothers me. And it's factually incorrect. And it just, it bothers me that the head coach of the Carolina Panthers, my personal favorite team, believes this. (laughs) Teams that run the ball win games. That That is not true. Yeah, it's it's true, but it's backwards. It's backwards. You don't you don't win because you run. You run because you're winning. Like, yes. I don't understand why Rivera and a lot of coaches believe this. Like, he's not the only one. It's like, it's, why it's like, are we stuck in say, 1987? It's, I would say like four to five active NFL coaches would agree with that. I think so. At I least. mean, you've got uh, you know Sean McVay, Sean Payton. Maybe it's just the guy's name, Sean. Um, <laughs> Sean, uh, you know, Sean McVay, Sean Payton. Uh, not Sean McDermott. Not Sean McDermott, no. Um, <laughs> Kyle Shanahan. Um, I'm trying to think here of any other ones. But Bill those three guys, Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick is the right right mindset. We will do whatever you cannot defend. 
whether that be run the ball or pass the ball, whatever you suck at, that's what we're going to do. That's, that's the game plan you should have. But no, you run the ball, you win. No, that's not true. Can I play it's... devil's advocate a little bit here though? No. Yes. Fine. All right. Go. No, go. Well, yes. Play your, play your devil's advocate. So the only thing I have to say about the devil's advocate piece of it is you mentioned the rush defense, which there's some context to be provided with rush defenses, but looking at the top rushing attacks in the NFL as far as offenses go, we have Jacksonville, number one. We have Philadelphia, number three. We have Carolina, number four. New Orleans, number five. Buffalo, number six. Minnesota, number seven. L.A. Rams, number eight. Kansas City, number nine. New England, number 10. Atlanta, 13, and so on. So of the top 13 offenses, as far as rushing goes, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine of them are playoff teams this year. But what's a common denominator amongst most of those teams? Good defenses? No. From ahead. Well, yeah, but they have a star running back or a runner of the football. Cam Newton is the exception in that. And New England doesn't have one, but they, they just do everything well. So, But, you know, Todd Gurley, Leonard Fournette, Alvin Kamara, um, Devontae Freeman. So you I know, guess that, I guess there's a common the Cam Newton. You know, there's a common denominator in, and I'm not calling Cam Newton a running back if you're listening to this. So don't you know? I'm just, <laughs> I'm just. So saying. I, I guess my question of this argument then is: so you're saying that being a strong rushing team is not a big deal unless you have a star running back? It actually isn't much of a big deal at all. Like I have, I, I, I started doing. I actually started. Uh, I was going to write this for the bye week, and then I ended up not just because I got lazy, and <laughs> that's pretty much it. But uh, as of the bye week, I went back – probably still have it. This season, I think, is an outlier in that I went back and I looked at, like, yards per attempt compared to win percentage for, like, a multi-season sample, and there was it was there was nothing there. I guess Brian, let me let me let me phrase it in a question. I think that might help you get where I'm going here. Which would you rather do as an offense? Would you rather have a one drive full of running the ball, time of possession, drains the clock that lasts 8 minutes and scores a touchdown? Or would you rather have four 2-minute drives quick hitting passes, mix in a run or two to keep the defense honest, but downfield passing, efficient, moving, no time of possession, no ball control, none of that, but you settle for a field goal each time. Would you rather have 12 points or would you rather have seven points? That's a very absolute way of looking at it, but obviously, yeah, I'd rather have 12 points there. Um, See, that's the thing. That's the thing. Running the ball in time of possession, it doesn't really do you any good, especially if your defense can't stop the other offense. Here's the the main thing with it, is that no matter what you do to control the ball, you still get the same amount of possessions as the other team. Yeah. So And one flaw in the ball control offense that I don't think Ron Rivera understands yet 
if you keep the ball for eight minutes at a time, you reduce the chances you have of being successful because you then rely on, you know, the other team not scoring too, or your defense not screwing up, or then the next time you get the ball, you have everything has to go right because if you screw up, then you have less time to to make up for it. Yeah, and I'm not saying I'm not advocating small, a Chip Kelly yeah. offense where you run, you know, eighty. 80 plays in five minutes, but you know, there's got to be a a better balance than what, than what we do. We do need to move on because I'm sure people want to hear about the saints game and the, the offensive coordinator stuff. But the last thing I want to say about it is that, and I've said this a lot of times in comments, um, what happens, what you do when you control time of possession and you reduce the number of possessions in the game is you increase the fact, the luck factor in the result of the game. Because if, if, if you have a game where there's 10 possessions each day, one busted coverage or one turnover swings the side a lot more than if you have 20 possessions in a game and there's and you turn the ball over one. Like one turnover or one big play doesn't affect the outcome as much because you have more like chances to make up for it. Exactly. Yeah, the margin of error becomes a lot smaller. Yes, I can get on board exactly. with that. Yeah. yeah. We'll have more to talk about this later. We should, we, should, we should move on to the... Well, honestly, it's a good caveat into the Saints game because... <clears throat> the Panthers kicked field goals on five of their first drives. Um, we also, we also, well, we also gave up touchdowns, though. That's the thing. Exactly. Also, here's the big thing: is Ron Rivera said in his press conference, "If you run for 100 yards, you win 70 percent of the time." We ran for like 140. We ran for 100 yards on the Saints, and the Saints ran for like 40, and uh, it didn't work out so great for us. Not yeah, but that's time, I'll, I'll, I'll time, give clearly. the Panthers credit where it's due. They shut down Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram, yes. but yes, Drew Brees roasted them for 350 yards and what four touchdowns. So you know, it was too bad. Yes. Yeah, the Panthers ran for 107 yards. The Saints ran for 41. The Saints won the game because uh, Drew Brees threw for 376 yards um, and 11 yards in attempt. Not great. I thought. I thought that game was everything that's been wrong with the Panthers this season, like encapsulated into one game. I thought it was the perfect Panthers game yeah, to show on like the playoff stage. Yeah, it was. And to make matters worse, we really should have won because yeah. if if Kalen Clay doesn't drop the best throw Cam Newton has probably made <laughs> in his career uh, in the end zone, or Graham Gano doesn't miss. You know, he's he missed one field goal all year, and then he shanks a 25-yarder in in a dome. Further uh, in the, in proving the that he's quarter, not clutch. Proving that he does not have a single clutch gene in his body. You know, you can argue that if you want, but I'm don't even at me on that. He's not clutch at all. Um, if he doesn't miss that field goal, even if Kalen Clay drops the pass, if Graham Gano doesn't, fail to do his job the last drive of the game is different because we approach it as all we need to do is get in field goal range which we did we, which we did that fourth down that was we were screwed because Cam did not intentionally ground the ball that's a different <laughs> argument for a different day there was so much wrong with that just like Mike Adams did not intercept that pass um but you know, we kick a game-winning field goal, or at least we attempt a game-winning field goal instead of having to heave one in the end zone that Devin Punk should have caught. Yeah. So, um, 
Oh, good, Brian. I was going to say, um, so I agree with the whole, like, you know, Graham Gano doesn't miss that field goal, then Carolina's in a better position to end the game. But it's like, you have to remember, too, it's a situational game. Like, Carolina had, Carolina would have been in a different situation, but at the same time, the Saints may have played a different situation as well. Um, yeah, like, what really that's, pissed true. Me off, that's, that's true. That's yeah. fair. What really pissed me off about this game was, okay, so first quarter, Carolina forced a punt, then they punt again, then the Saints punt again, and then they proceed to kick one, two, three, four, five field goals in a row. Like, that is oh, unacceptable for a player. I was there in a row. Yeah. They, they kicked a missed – they missed a field goal, then the Saints scored a touchdown, then the Panthers kicked a field goal, then the Saints scored another t- then the Saints scored another touchdown. Then the Panthers kicked another field goal. Then the Saints scored the touchdown. Then yep. the Panthers kicked a fifty-eight yard field goal, which I was surprised Graham Gano made. Then they kicked the field no, goal. He made it because there was no pressure. It was twenty one to six at the time. Yep. There's absolutely Punt. no pressure to make that kick. It was straight on in a dome. Of course he makes that one. But then they co- they open the second half and they kick another damn field goal. Like <laughs> I didn't realize they were so consecutive. Missed field goal or punt, missed field goal, field goal, field goal, field goal, field goal, punt, touched it. Like, that's like, all in a row. I, I'm all for, I believe me, like, I understand the the anger behind the end of the game and the missed, the missed calls and all that crap. But, like, if the Panthers score even two touchdowns on those field goal drives, this is a totally different game. And they had those opportunities. As you said, Kalen Clay dropped the touchdown pass. But, like, beyond that, on the other four drives, there were opportunities to score touchdowns. Like, it's – Carolina shot themselves in the foot that game. And it, looking at it, they, don't, they didn't deserve to win based on how we saw them play. But in the end, this, this game really encapsulated exactly what Carolina was in 2017, which was just a whole lot of freaking missed opportunities. Like, I was just yeah. going to say, Ron Rivera – could have that was Ron Rivera's perfect missed opportunities press conference waiting to happen because he exactly. says that just about every loss and <clears throat> that game encapsulated. I know I wrote in the defensive previews like every week um, in the first part of the season that we weren't getting turnovers, but the second half of the season it was like okay we're getting turnovers, but now we're like entirely reliant on them. Like the defense is hemorrhaging yards, but they look good because they're forcing turnovers and forcing field goals. That's not a sustainable to play defense especially against a team like the saints and that's exactly what happened on uh on sunday is that we didn't get the turnovers and the saints uh continuously marched down the field especially particularly in the first half the second half we kind of buckled down a little bit but uh we were we we weren't able to get the stops which has been a kind of recurring theme in the second part of the season like after the bye week in all three Saints games, you could argue that there were missed opportunities. It's like this team just seems to get so close when it comes to those like big games, and they just lose. The Panthers yeah. went what eleven and five to end the season. Mm-hmm. Two of those losses were to the Saints. One of those losses was to the Eagles. One of those losses to the, was to the Falcons. All four of those games, there there's themes of missed opportunities. It's just ridiculous. Like. 
Yeah, strangely enough, the only game that we really didn't miss any opportunities was the the Bears game, the one that everybody's embarrassed about, you know, and the one that I thought was the most ridiculous. Ah. But, yeah, embarrassed, haha. Um, But, you know, that was just the game that nothing went right. There was no missed opportunities. We just sucked that day. And we also gave them the two We gave them 14 the points because, you know, they, they got lucky on two turnovers. But, you know, we should have won the Eagles game, like you said. We should have beaten the Saints at least once. I think the second time around, we should have beaten them because we had the right game plan. We just couldn't execute it. And we saw that again in the playoffs. We just we had the right game plan. We couldn't execute it. And Cam Newton, if anybody deserved to win that football game, it was Cam Newton. Yeah, he was... He was that very was the good. best game of his career, and we blew it by losing it. Uh, the fact that there's still people that would be on like on like Twitter and stuff that are like, "Yeah, this guy's holding the team back," after either didn't watch that game or just are uh, the equivalent of like a flat Earth truther. Yes, where there's yeah, just nothing you can say yeah. to convince them. Yeah, and I'm not going to get into the reasons why, but yeah, yeah. I mean, there's either was, an issue with how you interpret Cam Newton or you didn't watch the game. Yeah, he like and it's it, I've said it a couple of like it's we need receivers in the worst way. I know we didn't have a lot of drops like statistically, but we had a lot of inability to make contested catches. like I would say you know, just kind of like roughly you would expect like a 50 50 ball to be 50 50. You know, if it's like a contested catch, the it's receiving core right. we have is like a. 90 it's 70, to 10 odds. Yeah. I thought it was worse. It's like 90 to 10 that it's going to get knocked down. Like, it doesn't even have to be, like, broken up. It's just, like, if there's a defender close, like, touching a receiver, they don't, they can't bring it in. Like, Curtis Samuel's guilty of that. Brent Burson was guilty of that a couple times. Kalen Clay is very, very guilty of that. Kalen Clay can't catch up unless there's anybody within, like, a five-yard bubble of him. Yeah, and sadly, Brenton Burson made the best catch of the day, and then he tripped over the 38-yard line after he <laughs> Don't, don't remind me. Don't remind me. So, not that, I mean, you know. That wasn't the worst play of the game, but I felt like that's like a perfect illustration of like, these are the receivers Cam is playing with. He's playing, can, his number two wide receiver right now is a guy that tripped in the open field and fell. Can I interject real quick with the target, the target spread of the receivers he was throwing to? Uh, yeah. Sure. So Cam targeted 30, well, I shouldn't say Cam because Derek Anderson targeted one. Um, but the Carolina Panthers collectively targeted 38, uh, a wide receiver or a tight end, basically a receiver, 38 different times on Sunday. And between three guys, Greg Olson, Christian McCaffrey, Devin Funches, they had collectively 28 of those targets. That's bad. Like That's not good. Well, the other guys can't get open. That's the problem. I would say what's even worse is who got the other 10 targets. Um, Kalen Clay got four. Brent Burson got two. Ed Dixon got two. And Russell Shepard got two. And um, Russell Shepard didn't catch a damn one of them. He did not. He surely yeah. didn't. Ed Dixon went, took, got three yards on his two targets. Um, Kalen Clay good. dropped the best, easiest touchdown catch he'll ever have. Like it, it, was, it was an easy pass. catch, but it was a perfect throw. He definitely you would expect perfect an NFL throw. player to make that catch. He got um, shoved before he before he could catch the ball, but it wasn't enough for me to say, "Hey, he he got shoved. He should." He, I I feel him. like yeah, if you can if you still have eyes on the ball <clears> and you can get both your hands on the ball and it's not deflected or anything, you should be able to catch it, even if your body gets bumped or even if you get a little shove. Like 
if you're an NFL I mean, he receiver, at least you be been able to, to get his hands on it. It went through his arms like it. I don't understand how NFL players with those gloves have ball like have butterfingers. I get having stone hands with those gloves because they don't make your hands softer. But there's yeah. no reason something should slide through those gloves. Those things are sticky. Yep. Yeah, Carolina definitely needs to invest in wide receivers. And granted, we we saw Curtis the game that he unfortunately got injured. So that's a nice thing to look forward to next season. Um, yeah, I just worry about his ability to make contested catches just like everybody else. Yeah, I can already tell you who we need. And that's actually a good segue. Go ahead. And that is? We need we need wide receivers who can get open, and I have just the ticket. Equinemius Tristan Emotep J. St. Brown from Notre Dame. <laughs> I looked him up. He's like 6'5", 200 pounds. Can he actually separate? Yes, he's actually a really good wide receiver. I know um, he's good, but then I just I, I looked up and saw he was 6'5". I'm like, oh, no, is he another Kelvin Benjamin, like Mike Evans type, where he just, he just bodies people? Well, 6'5", 200. I'll have to watch more film, but 6'5", 200, probably not, because that's skinny. Yeah, 6'5", yeah, 200 compared to Kelvin Menju, who is 6'6", 250, 240 on a good day. That's a, pretty, I would say, that's a pretty good body type for someone like that. For a Yeah, I would say he's more like Martavis Bryant than Kelvin Benjamin. Oh, yeah, is Martavis Bryant 6'5"? He's, like, he's not quite six, that tall. Yeah, he's 6'4", 6'5". He's tall. Yeah, uh, yeah. I guess like Josh Gordon's like that, too. Yeah, that's, that's the kind keep, of why do we keep talking about people who are getting busted for smoking weed? Is this guy getting busted for smoking weed? <laughs> His name's Equinemius. Equinemius Tristan Emotep St. Brown. I mean, from Notre Dame. From Notre Dame. I don't care if he can't do anything. I want him <laughs> on the Carolina Panthers. That is the best name I've ever. That, that is, is the best football name I have ever heard. He got named after the Key and Peel sketch twenty years before Key and Peel made the sketch. Yeah, and according to Carolina All Day in the thread that we talked about him, he has brothers named Osiris Adrian Amin-Ra St. Brown and, <laughs> and Amon-Ra Julian Haru J. St. Brown. So it runs in the family, and we need to collect all three of them. I don't even know if the other just, two play football. but we, The other we two need... might not even play football, and I don't care. I want them on the Carolina Panthers. I just want these Egyptian gods on our team. That's what yes. I want. He's totally going to be the mummy if we draft him, by the way. <laughs> That's how you get we'll a nickname. We don't have to worry about throwing an inaccurate pass. He'll just reel it in with his mummy powers. Like, <laughs> But seriously, you know, draft-wise, we need a wide receiver. There is no – there is it's inexcusable if Marty Herney doesn't draft at least one. Especially and, with who our new offensive coordinator is. That's a segue. Yeah. Oh, That's look at that. Bam. Play. With, with uh, reports coming out that by the time you're listening to this, it's probably going to be confirmed by the observer that North Turner is going to be our offensive coordinator. So that means we definitely need a wide receiver who can get open downfield, because if not, we're going to have the worst offense in the NFL. Can I uh, hold my hand up here? Um, sure. I'm no, to I, was, I, was, I, was, I was wrong. Um, Walker wrote the piece about, uh, us firing Mike Shul is a you know a, a culture shift in a way, like this isn't your normal Carolina Panthers, and so I was the first person to comment saying the fact that we're doing something we I don't think we've ever done under Rivera and just outright fire like a top ranking coach. We never I know we've never fired a coordinator without them getting hired away means we're gonna go in a different direction, 
and they uh, completely proved me wrong and went in the exact same direction we've been doing. Yeah, it was it was like 15 minutes after he posted that article that the story came out that we were talking to Norv Turner. Like it didn't I even. I mean, it. You know, I'm not gonna hate the move yet. I can't because it might work. Like there's a sliver of hope, but I'm not very optimistic. I'm, so, I'll go ahead and finish up. I I just. I guess I'm bleh about it. And, you know, Ron said something that, you know, he said that Norv Turner is the guy that does, that fits the bill of what he wants to do. And that's exactly right. Norv Turner is the perfect offensive coordinator for what Ron Rivera wants to do. But the problem is, is Ron Rivera wants to do the wrong thing. It's yes. not it's not that North Turner is the wrong coach. It's that Ron Rivera wants to do the wrong thing on offense in the first place. The ball control, run Jonathan Stewart 30 times a game, you know, ignore that you have dynamic player in Christian McCaffrey, that you have a franchise generational quarterback in Cam Newton to to run a 1980s ball control offense is backwards thinking and it's just it's dumb. It's like you know, when Mike Shula got fired, we were all so excited. It was like you're you're a kid on Christmas. Your mom and dad said, here, you can open one gift on Christmas Eve instead of Christmas Day. And then we find out that North Turner is going to be the replacement. And it's like you open that box and it's underwear instead of an Xbox or a PlayStation. And that's how I feel right now. I feel like I open underwear instead of a PlayStation. And I don't, it's going to take a lot to get me to not feel that way. So I do want to interject a little bit about North Turner and Billy kind of not necessarily convinced me, but gave me a little optimism on Twitter about this. But, and so let's start with when Cam Newton first started in Carolina, the offensive coordinator, Rob Chedlinski was San Diego's tight end coach. And he introduced a, Air Coriel type offense along with some read option slash quarterback run techniques. No? Am I wrong about that? You're correct. Yeah. And then Mike Shula came along after Rob Chudzinski managed to somehow stumble into a Cleveland Browns job that he got fired from a year later. Um, And he basically tried to keep a lot of the same concepts in the playbook. So now Carolina moves on to Mike Shula they bring in North Turner, who essentially created those basic concepts. So those specific concepts that Carolina was running, especially the uh, the concepts that Rob Chudzinski were more so like throw the ball down the field, play action pass. Those are things we know Cam Newton does well. He's a much better guy at throwing the ball down the field. So I think that North Turner is going to do a much better job of capitalizing on those kind of plays and those kind of concepts and this is me being very optimistic because I was highly against North Turner being the offensive coordinator but looking at it from the sense of familiarity it's not going to be a huge change in in concepts or themes for Cam Newton so it shouldn't be a problem for him to move into this new in this new scheme right away you know yeah I mean my one positive feeling is what Mike Shula wanted to do isn't the worst way to approach football. I mean, you know, a lot of teams struggle to defend the run. I, you know, it's fine, but you know, 
John's been doing some mathematical study showing that running the ball isn't as effective as people think it is. You know, you gain average of two yards per carry, but, um, but North Turner, I, I have a, a small bit of hope that situational play calling will improve because that's the one thing that Mike Shula sucks at. And, you know, I, I'm hoping that, you know, it's the middle of the third quarter. The other team has figured out what we're doing. I'm hopeful that North Turner will say, hey, let's do this instead. Instead of let's just keep battering this down your throat and hope that you screw up. So He is a more experienced coordinator. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah, that, that gives me a slight bit of hope. So, I think that North Turner, like, what, what, what Mike, Sh- what I feel like Mike Shula was doing was that he was trying to emphasize too much the power rushing game. But Carolina has a player who's a little more similar to LaDainian Tomlinson now than they ever did. And obviously, Christian McCaffrey, because he can run the ball. He can, he can run routes, catch the ball really well. He's not quite the runner, I would say, LaDainian Tomlinson ever was. But as mm-hmm. far as, like, skill sets go, he's very similar. And I think I think that Norv Turner can definitely implement a lot of the same stuff they were running with LaDainian Tomlinson and have some success. So, like we were all saying once Mike Shula was fired – we should be interviewing coordinators and say, hey, we have Cam Newton, we have Christian McCaffrey, how soon can, how soon can you sign? And it doesn't make sense because those two guys specifically are matchup nightmares for the entire defense. So a smart offensive coordinator is going to take them and run with it. So Norv is going to be walking into a different situation than he was in uh, Minnesota because he had, you know, Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater, who's kind of limited as far as being a runner goes. He had a really crappy offensive line at the time. And uh, their rushing game was very much up in the air because Adrian Peterson was not himself. And Latavius Murray and uh, Jarek McKinnon were forces of their own yet. So for me, I'm, I, I want to be optimistic simply because I think North Turner knows how to work with these kinds of pieces that Carolina has. And on top of that, Looking at what he worked with in San Diego, he had Chris Chambers and he had Vincent Jackson. Um, he's going to have Devin Funches in Carolina introduces another high-end wide receiver option, which I think they will through either free agency or the draft. He's going to have a similar situation to work with and obviously trying to capitalize on Cam Newton's deep, down, deep and intermediate arm strength and accuracy we could see a really high-end offense. The ceiling is definitely very high on this team where Mike Shula's ceiling was obviously very low because of the low-risk kind of plays he was running for the most part. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I it won't work unless we get a receiver who can get open downfield. I mean, you know, there are several of them we can find in free agency. And, you know, there's plenty of them we can draft. Um, but you know, offensive line play has to improve and we have to have somebody who can get open down the field. Otherwise, North Turner's offense, you might as well be running the, the single formation uh, because it, it's just not going to work. Uh, right. I am going to be cautiously optimistic that we will get this worked out. I don't think Ron Rivera would fire Mike Shula and hire North Turner if he didn't truly believe he was making the right decision. Like, I don't think he would intentionally sabotage his, you know, his ability to stay hired. But I, 
I have my doubts, but I don't, I don't hate the decision like some Panthers fans seem to do. Yeah. I was just, I was very just, what I wanted was to see someone like Rob Chudzinski come into Carolina again, somebody who was really ambitious with a very creative play scheme. That's what I was looking for because Cam Newton is the kind of player where you can really, you can really do a lot of things with a creative offensive scheme, but at the same time, introducing something that's going to be familiar to him, which the Eric Coriel is something he's been working with at least some aspect of his entire career. It does make sense because we don't have to deal with the growing pains as much because he knows that system for the most part. Um, so I don't really know what to think of Scott Turner as his quarterback coach yet, but we'll see. But Ron Rivera is introducing fam- familiar faces that he knows how to work with. So I guess this is the best course of action, especially considering the fact that we don't even know who the GM is going to be at this point. So Oh, we, we know. <laughs> Do we though? Yeah, yeah we, we do. Yeah, we do. Yeah, I know. Well, is I having guess. four turners the worst thing in the world? Yes. Hey, John. Carolina turners. It. I, I saw that. It it's kind like, of oh, is no the room. worst thing though, because four of any family is not good. See, here's my counterpoint to that, and this is, uh, I have a family. Um, in terms, of, I have a brother and 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 other siblings and parents. Um. I feel like it's easier to have open dialogue with family members than with like coworkers. I know it's different in like an NFL setting, but I don't know. Like I know people are concerned like, Oh, it's just going to be an echo chamber. But I feel like, like if Scott Turner, the quarterback coach has like some ideas, he's more likely to suggest them to, is he, is he North's son? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like he's more, I like, I more likely to like suggest ideas to his dad than he would be to like a typical superior at his at his job hey dad do you approve of my ideas <laughs> yeah and then and then his dad says no i never liked your idea son and then he continues his life well, crippling i'm gonna throw this issues. out there i'm gonna throw this out there just to kind of make this a bad idea scott turner was at michigan and I, technically he still is and he lost to will muschamp <laughs> the biggest indictment uh one could have on their coaching prospects yeah, he lost to Will. I punt on fourth and one at the opponent's 25-yard line, Muschamp. One thing I want to say about North Turner that I tried to say, but I um, I was just talking to myself. Um, I know there are valid concerns that he hasn't been an offensive coordinator for a good offense since, like, 1944. Um, at least he's been the coordinator of a successful offense, unlike the previous regime. The that previous is true. Yeah, I mean, World War II was going on when it happened, but at least it happened. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, the NFL was using replacement players while half the league was overseas, but still, it's 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 legitimate. Still, it, he he was good. Yes. Um. So yeah, I think it's it's an upgrade from at least like at least like at least he was better in the '90s. Norv is better than uh never had a good offense, Mike. So there's there's that silver lining. I know we had the top scoring offense with Mike Shula in 2015. We were still like 14th in yards per play. Mm-hmm. Um, we got lucky in 2015 because we had a lot of short fields. We had a lot of turnovers. Something Eight, a lot a, of people forget. We led the league yeah. in turnovers on defense, and we had a lot of short fields, like you know, 25, 35 yard drives. That yeah, you know, any um, team can score from the when they start on the 35 yard line. 
Yeah, I, I I looked at it today, and like under Chudzinski, we had the fourth best offense in yards per play and seventh best offense in yards per play. Under Mike Shula, 2015 was our best year, and I think it was 12th or 14th. It was it was worse. And then every other year has been in like the, the low 20s, like in the 21, 22 range, maybe like 118 in there. So I I'm not like excited about it. But I'll be I'll reserve judgment on it and be cautiously optimistic and blindly hopeful uh, as a fan until I see otherwise at the time for the time being. I just feel like with the talent we have at quarterback, it can't be like that bad. That is true. Yeah. So I just feel like it can't be, you know, like it, Mike Shull had great play designs and whatever. But I feel like is it in terms of coordinating like uh, the actual game flow and stuff, I feel like we can't get a whole lot worse, though. That's, yeah, that's... I, I don't think we can be much worse. I, I, there's only one way to go, and that's up. I just don't think we'll go very far up. Yeah, that's that's pretty much how I see it. What I was just going to say is I guess we'll just have to wait and see with George Turner. I mean, there's a lot of pieces to be added here. I mean, Carolina has what? 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 We're waiting. <laughs> Carolina has uh, four draft picks in the first four rounds. We have a free agent left guard. Uh, we have a couple fast players coming back from injury. I don't know which of those things he was going to say. I don't know. The downside to having four picks in the first four rounds, though, is Marty Herney's our GM. Uh, we'll, get a, uh, we'll get a good player. We'll get one good player, and then we'll <laughs> get two bad ones and one that might be okay. And the one that might be okay will be the, the second, third rounder. Yeah, exactly. And the second rounder will be like some prospect from like southeast, southeastern North Mississippi State. Hello? Hey, Brian. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't know what happened. Ugh. Your timing was perfect, though. Okay, so all I was going to say was Carolina has four picks in the first two days of the NFL draft, and they have quite a bit of cap room to work with in free agency um that was one of our guesses yeah <laughs> obviously we're waiting on andrew norwell and starla tulele to be figured out but there is room for receivers and uh offensive linemen and general skill talent to be added um i think free agency would maybe a little more active this year now that marty herney's around and not you know dave gettleman so yeah i think i It'll, I think we'll have some fun. We'll have a lot to talk about. Agreed. At the very least, we'll have a lot to talk about. Whether it's good or bad, it remains to be seen. Yeah, this is a period of transition. I mean, there's going to be a new owner, likely a new culture introduced. So we'll definitely see how that goes. But I'm I'm optimistic because Carolina hasn't really dipped into the free agent market in a while. But they don't really have anybody aside from Devin Funches that I would call a like certifiable wide receiver one or two right now. I was going to say something and it just completely slipped my mind because I was watching the basketball game and something funny happened. Um... <laughs> nice. <laughs> Brad, do you have anything else to add? No, I'm pretty much talked out. All right. Well, uh, from all of us here at the CSR podcast, uh, Go on our website, buy our t-shirts. We have a nice new one for Cam Newton and his lack of wide receivers, which we talked about at length tonight. So go on there. It's, look at it's that. much more aggressive than the first shirt. Yeah, it is. Good. 
I'm, I always love that. Um, obviously, John will be bringing you a very analytical look at coaches and things that they say and different cliches. Um, I'll be bringing you some speculation about who the Panthers' next wide receiver coach will be soon, so stay tuned for that, along with some stuff on Cam Newton. Uh, Brad, are you working on anything in particular you'd like to share? No, I'm just trying to cover draft prospects. Uh, today I did offensive players like the top five at each position that we need tomorrow. I'll do – or today if you're listening to yesterday, this. Yesterday. Yesterday I did today. offense. Today I'm going to do defense. So. All right. Well, we're kicking off the CSR offseason. Um, we're probably not going to be doing two podcasts a week, but we'll be doing at least one every two weeks for the most part. Um, but definitely stay tuned and uh, send us your questions on whether it's through an email to any one of us three or commenting on the podcast, and we will definitely address we, them. But We or, also have Twitters. We do have the Twitters. That's true. Um, but, yeah, thank you for listening. Thank you for following along in this crazy season. And from all of us here at the CSR Podcast, have yourself a good week, and we'll talk to you soon. See you sometime. Later.
there's a time and a place for black and white. Like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white. So go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing. From banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 18 Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.